Aloha! I'm Rusty, joined by Ifo Bumai. It's been a while, but we are back to Amsterdam with another edition. Another bag full, ready to sling some quack. We are rarely home, but we're always repping. <laughs> so, it has been a while since we last recorded. Uh, lots happened. We assigned a bunch of assistant coaches. Um... You know, uh, I think, oh, early signing period happened, and basketball, both men's and women's, has some done some very not cool things, and some very cool things that we'll all touch on. A lot of news. I gotta be honest, um, I don't even remember the last time we recorded a podcast, so I'm not sure what's happened since then, but I'm pretty sure it's a fair amount of things. It was so, before the bowl game. Oh, okay. Well, uh, in that case, uh, skip the bowl game. Happy holidays. Merry Festivus. Air your grievances. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much uh, most of the days that we are able to record during the week, neither of us was. There, there was not like a single day where we were both able to block out some time for this. Um so let's get started with football. We got almost all of our... We got six assistant coaches signed out of ten that we can have. Um, we signed our receivers coach, our safeties coach. Um, we got a new linebackers coach. So hopefully all that means that we can start getting um, some receivers lined up for the February signing period. We're not going to get into specifics, but... A lot of the uncertainty pushed some push some guys away. Some of that uncertainty is gone, so hopefully we can get some of those guys back. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think Cristobal has done a, a good job thus far of moving relatively quickly to shore up his staff, um, especially when it comes to bringing in guys that are known as really good recruiters. Um in, I mean, we, so we're recording this on what? Tuesday night? So the national championship was just last year, last night, and a lot of schools have gaping holes in their staffs. I mean, Arizona doesn't even have a head coach yet. Um, and I, I thought they have someone now. Is that official? It's not official. I don't think that's official, but it's rumored, and I'm not looking forward to that. Um, but regardless of that, there are a lot of staffs around the country that are looking for guys right now. And I think Cristobal has done a good job moving quickly and efficiently within the market to sh sign guys that he really wants. Um, I think the biggest win is keeping Big Joe Salvea as long as the Sumlin rumors are true and he actually does go to Arizona. Uh, that that's a huge win uh, on the on the coaching front for me. Um, we'll see how it goes. I don't I don't really have a whole lot of other thoughts on the the coaching staff um, until we see them in action. Yeah, I think once you start getting down to like position coaches or like quality control coaches, it gets to be a little too 
inside baseball for me to get a real good feel of things. Yeah, hard for me to uh, to make a real good judgment there. All I know is we need 15 coaches and seven GAs and maybe some interns. Yeah, we still need a strength and conditioning coach. Which sounds like, based on Cristobal's, an article that was written by, well, I think everybody who writes about Oregon football had some version of it, which was um, Cristobal using uh, an Alabama-like off-season program, which is very in vogue right now. I mean, they did win a national championship, so... It's like in the startup community where people are like, we're going to be the Uber of X. Like, we're going to be the Alabama of off-season program. We're really going to break the paradigm. (laughs) We're going to develop a winning ecosystem. So, let me ask you this. Now now that the season is over, I think that anybody that watches our, that follows our program, would say that this was a turbulent year with the hiring of Taggart and then Taggart leaving with our starting quarterback getting injured for five games right in the middle of the season, right in that that meat of the season. Um, I I think there was was a lot of uncertainty about this team this year. Um, So what do you think? Was the season successful? I mean, we we ended up going seven and six. Um, We had a not impressive showing in the bowl game against uh, the team that shall not be named. Successful, not encouraging, not. How do you feel? Honestly, if it's not like a New Year's bowl game, I really don't care. Like, it's an exhibition game. But it's also Boise. I don't care. Boise is a trash program. I don't care. I don't care about Boise State. Thanks. What did you say? So, you so clearly the year of Rusty being salty. Oh, I was going to say clearly the year of Rusty being salty was not left in 2017. <laughs> no. Sorry, I really just don't care about a team that only has to show up once a year. Um, I think it was a win. Um, especially with Herbert missing five games, which were the biggest five games. I think Oregon maybe pulls out two of those if he's around. Uh, Maybe three. Which the third one, I'm not sure which one it would be, but I feel like at least we'd end up with two wins out of that group. Um, So maybe, maybe we would have beaten Washington State and UCLA. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I think to an extent, Washington was a winnable game. Just zero threat on offense is going to kill you. Because then your defense is just out there the entire time. So, I think I think it's maybe... I think it's still below a 50% chance of winning. But I think it would have been much more competitive with a with a fair shot at winning. Wow. If we had Herbert. Well, time does heal all wounds, but um, K 
count me out on Washington being a winnable game this year, past year because uh, that that one hurt. But you never know. I mean, Herbert changed a lot of things. I I tend to agree. I think that the season overall was very successful, um, especially with the play of younger players and guys who will step into a leading role in future years. Um, I I look at this season, this past season, really as more of a season to set up the building blocks of of future success. Um, Oh, yeah. The fact that we went seven and six, the fact that we made it back to a bowl game after missing it last year, um, that's all benefits to me. Um, who knows what could have happened if if Herbert stayed healthy? I agree with you. I think in that case, um, we probably win the UCLA game, considering that was what tied at halftime, or it was very close at halftime. Yeah, that's a win. Um, I think Washington State, if it's not a win, it's very close. Um, Stanford and Washington, I tend to think that. Both Stanford, of those. Stanford, absolutely not. That was bad. Yeah, we probably still lose those just because we we went into the both of those away stadiums and really just got housed. Um, now a well, lot of that for, can be true. Well, in the Washington game, it was really one quarter. Yeah, you, I mean you're correct. I mean it's uh, a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that we had no offensive threat, um, which led to the defense being on the field all the time, which led to points being scored. Um, but overall, I'd say that this this year shows a lot of promise, principally for me, because of the guys who stepped into roles and showed a lot of development. Guys that I'm thinking of are, um, of course, Jordan Scott, um, Troy Dye, Impressed being able to move out from outside linebacker to middle linebacker. Um, Dylan Mitchell towards the end of the season and pretty much every single game where Herbert was starting, Dylan Matt Mitchell was an impact player. Um, even guys like that came on strong down the stretch like Jalen Red. Um, you know, at, at the start of this year, he wasn't really on the radar at all. And then by the end of the season, he, he was making plays for us. Um, so I think that this team has the tools to be able to succeed in the future. I think the early signing period uh, recruiting class was successful, even though we were in a bowl week that the, what the week before early signing period. Um, so I think this year overall sets us up, for success in the future. Obviously it had some hiccups. Um, obviously nobody expected Taggart to leave after just one year. Yeah. But uh, I'm comfortable with the transition as it's happening right now. We'll see how it goes in the future. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the big positives too, is that this was such a young team. Um, like our projective offensive line next year is going to be entirely juniors. There's four juniors yes. and a sophomore um, that's projected to be starters. And on defense, there's only one senior and the two and the two deep, and that's Jalen Jokes, who obviously is going to be 
a pretty big loss. But this is a team that's going to get... I think we're going to have an even bigger jump this next year. And the year after that, especially, it's just going to be absolute. It's going to be huge. Um, and so, I, in some ways, too, well, having Levitt back is tremendous. Because we have guys who aren't learning their fourth defense in four years. They just stick around in a defense that worked really well for them. Um, and then on offense, I don't think that there's going to be too much of a difference of a of a difference because Cristobal has the exact same mentality of just downhill running, power running game. Um, but I think we're going to go more towards some some more creativity throwing the ball. If there was one thing that I was not happy about with Taggart's offense, which I don't think did the receivers any favors at all, was how few routes he was asking them to run. How few concepts there were. It seemed like almost every pass every pass play was just two guys streaking on the outside, one guy running a post, or four verts, or a Seattle concept, or just stacking up one side, basically just doing a flood pattern. And that seemed like it was almost every single passing play. So Arroyo, who's now the full-time offensive coordinator, quarterback himself, was at Pass Happy Oklahoma State before. Uh, and hopefully he makes some easier passes for the quarterbacks. I think, again, having a situation where all your passing options are 35 yards downfield is going to be very difficult for a freshman to pick up. Um, so I think just having some more creativity in the passing game is going to be huge for Herbert and the backup, whoever that may be. Yeah, I agree. I think um, that is one of the things that I'm most excited about next year is if you watch Oklahoma State games where Arroyo was um, was on that staff before this past year, uh, what they do a really good job of in their passing game is they take a good amount of deep shots um, down the field, but they also use their passing game very well in the short game um, with screens, bubble screens, um, motion before the snap to get the defense moving where their passing game it's really almost a, a little bit similar to how we used Marcus Mariota in the last two years of his career where Scott Frost at that point was trusting him to really take the load of the offense um, Oklahoma State has traditionally not been a huge running school other than obviously Barry Sanders um, but recently I'm talking about, and they do a really good job in their passing game of having their passing game operate in all areas of the field. So in effect, it acts as their running game. Um, and that's the type of variation when you put that together with the talent that we have in the backfield and the experience that we have returning on the offensive line, this offense could be very variable um, and it could be really hard to defend. 
I don't really know what it's going to look like. I don't know what Arroyo is going to change compared to what Taggart did because Taggart was calling the plays. Um, although I've heard that that's a good that's a good discussion point. That is a good yeah. discussion point. So I have heard that Arroyo was switched to calling the plays with what like four games left in the season. Um, Depends on who you ask. It depends on who you ask. Yeah, so who knows? Uh, that's a little bit inside for me that I don't I don't have that information. So that will be very interesting uh, when we watch the spring game, when we start watching non-conference games next year to see just what we look like uh, because it's, it's, it's hard to say. Yeah, uh... Rob Mosley tweeted fake news. Excuse me, fake news. Rob Mosley um, tweeted that he's yeah. expecting address the, address him with his po- proper honorific, please. Yeah, uh, he said to take what our offense looked like this year and then make it look a little bit more like Oklahoma State. But we don't really know what that means. Right. So really, really, that just means one thing that Oklahoma State does a ton of is run pass options. It's a lot of like either handing it off or writing like a quick slant to like the tight end inside um, or like a tight end going down the flat or something like that. Uh, They do a ton of RPOs. They take their deep shots, but they also do a lot of shorter shorter passes so but i think i think it's all going to be based around a solid running attack i think the one thing that i did really like about taggart system was there was a very clear identity in what the team was on offense which at times i think was a question mark in on the offense in 2016, is we were we running offense? Were we passing offense? It wasn't it wasn't necessarily really clear what our identity was. I would agree with that, and I would also stress that it's it's not just Arroyo making these calls as well. Um, this is something that Cristobal has been very clear on that he wants to run downhill. I mean that's his offensive line philosophy so ultimately Arroyo is going to be doing whatever Cristobal tells him to do because Cristobal is the head coach so I I agree I, I think we're going to see probably a good amount of downhill running mixed with RPO and one of Herbert's strengths is taking those shots downfield so I think we're going to see a fair amount of those RPO play action, maybe rolling out to the right side of the field and either running with the ball or taking a shot downfield, that type of thing. Yeah, I think that's going to make things a lot easier on Herbert and also on and also on the wide receivers because their routes aren't going to be so predictable like they were. Like... Uh, just to prove also how cool I am. At times later in the year, it was really, it was very obvious to know what type of plays were coming up. If you watched 
if you were watching and paying real close attention to when certain plays were getting called, the offense got pretty predictable at times with what plays we'd be looking at. Like, oh, we're in an uh, empty QB set? It was a QB draw every single time. Whenever we were empty quarterback, it was always a QB draw. And it was just stuff like that where over the entirety of a season it was pretty obvious. And if you're a defense preparing for that and you have even a little more football knowledge, it probably was very predictable in some sense. So um, I know when you get to the pros, it's basically – both sides know what the other person's going to be doing. It's just a matter of how well they execute. So. But overall, I would say definitely a successful season considering the expectations of the season beforehand. Um, I'm just excited to see what happens in the next, you know, two years. Because that's where I think we really can start judging this coaching staff long term. Um, and we have some awards to give out, don't we? We do. We do. Um, let's go ahead and start with our breakout performers on offense and defense. Let's start with offense. Who is your breakout performer of the season? Breakout performer of the season on offense. Um, I'm, I struggle with this one a little bit because his play was inconsistent, but, um, my breakout performance was Jacob Breland, tight end. Ooh. That's, it's a little bit of a wild card. Um, he did end up, let's see, fourth in receptions um, over over the season, but he had a stunning 17.8 yards per catch. Um, I mean, he was stretching the field. He showed a lot of good chemistry with uh, with Herbert uh, when Herbert did play. Um, ended up getting five touchdowns on just 18 catches. So. I thought he had a very good season. I thought his season could have been a lot better. Um, and, and I think considering he's just a sophomore, that bodes well for the future as well. Yeah, I am also a little – it's so difficult in a way to judge receivers and tight ends in this scenario because there was five games of absolutely nothing happening. So – there was yeah, there was basically like four games where you're able to judge, and then there were like two games at the end where you could judge with like competent quarterback play. Um, I will say that the breakout player was Dylan Mitchell. Part of me wanted to just go with Tony Brooks, James, but he won offensive MVP last year. Yeah, it's hard to do a breakout uh, team, So it's hard to pick someone to break out who was the offensive MVP last year. Um, and there's another guy I was thinking of who uh, is going to be – who's going to get an award later. Um, but Dylan Mitchell really showed, especially in the last set of games when Herbert was quarterback, the potential that he has. That we saw in the spring game um, this last year we heard about during his redshirt year. 
so I think that's the player too that I'm expecting to really just take it to the next level next year. I think Dylan Mitchell had the best best ending, like especially the last couple games. It was very clear the talent level that he has. I would agree. Dylan Mitchell, if I had given a runner up, Dylan Mitchell was going to be would be my runner up for the the breakout award on offense. Um, and, and he showed it throughout the entire season. So his freshman year was pretty much a wash um, in terms of he had a whole bunch of knee injuries and whatnot. Um, but this year he showed pretty much straight from the spring game where he had two touchdowns, if I'm remembering correctly, he was a consistent performer all year long. Um, all with the exception of when Herbert was injured, when no one was a consistent performer, but when Herbert was in just like Breland, they formed some really good chemistry. He came on really strong down the stretch as well. Um, so nothing but skies up for Dylan Mitchell. I mean, that guy is super talented. He's not the biggest guy out there. He's not going to win a lot of jump balls. Um, but as we saw with, uh, with some of the moves he put on Wyoming defenders in particular come to the top of my mind, um, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's electric. All right, so now let's move to most improved. Well, we didn't do break. We didn't do breakout oh, on defense. God, God. Breakout player on oh. defense. Come on, man. This one to me is easy. It's Jalen Jones. Uh, I think this is. We both nominated him for who we thought would be a breakout in our season preview. Um, he, I think, in my opinion. He's probably our most important player coming back, um, even more than Troy Dye. Um, him turning down the NFL draft with the year that he just had, if he can stay healthy, which is always an if because stuff gets crazy in the trenches, uh, but he had just a fantastic season. He, The start of his career, he was really more of a pass rush specialist, um, but this year he took that extra leap where he was knocking down balls. He was playing really well in run support. Um, he was everywhere on the field. Um, and, and that shows that, he, I mean, he had, according to football study hall, he had 16 run stuffs, 15 tackles for loss. He was fourth on the team in, in tackles with 46 and a half. Um, I mean, that guy, he was amazing this year. Oh, he took it to another level. Yeah, and he is the clear breakout player because Troy Dye was already a stud. Um, just to maybe give a, give us a little different look, uh, I'll go ahead and say, I, I guess one of my votes also for Joe and Jokes, he was just an absolute force, especially as an undersized 3-4 defensive end. Um, if he's going to stay at, right now he's listed on the roster as 245. If he stays at 245, he's looking at a 4-3 defensive end in the in the NFL. 
or because or realistically he needs to get up to like 255 260 to be an outside linebacker in a 3-4 that's maybe a little more that's a little more uh, spe- specialized on setting the edge and getting to the quarterback so he'd have to put on a little bit more size but an amateur hour over here not silencing my phone um to get uh, another look, I think the uh, the the second vote should go to Arion Springs, who is probably a breakout player because of the way things went last season for him, where he ended up getting benched in the latter half of the year, whether it's for effort or for injuries or maybe a little of both. Um, he had a huge year. Uh, I think he led the country in deflections. He was always one of the highest-rated defensive backs by uh, pro football focus every week in the conference. Um, and sometimes, while he didn't rec- I think he only had one interception on the year, but just the few number of targets he got is very telling that people didn't even really want to throw his way. Also, there was a freshman on the other end most of the time that they could pick on instead. But the fact that they, that a lot of teams didn't even challenge Springs, I think was a testament to his ability uh, more so than, is a more telling of his skill than the lack of interceptions. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Arion got slept on a little bit just because of how the end of the 2016 season went. Um, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, I mean, he did have one interception on the year, but it was it was a doozy in the Boise State game. Um, but he still had 18 pass breakups on the year. Um, he did a pretty decent job of coming up and run support when when it was needed. Um, and I thought he was just a steadying force um, for him to be a senior on that defense which so many of the the impact players on the defense were younger guys, either freshmen, sophomores. Um, I I thought he he really provided a a steadying leadership that that defense needed, and I I thought he was a big reason why the defense improved so much in year one of, of Jim Levitt being the D.C., Yeah. All right. Next category. Most improved. You want to do offense or defense first? Let's go with offense first. Who you got? I have an interesting one. Ooh. Someone who most improved uh, did not even play offense the year before. Brendan Schooler. Ooh. I, I thought that Brendan Schooler's performance over the course of the season, um, you could tell that he was putting in work, working on routes, working on making some big catches. He had some some really nice catches in the Arizona game in particular when he was pre- playing against his brother. Um, I, I just thought that he... He's not the most impressive athlete in the world. 
in you know the world of college football. Um, he did not start out the year being a technician in his route running. Um, he's not going to out jump anybody. I mean, he's only six two, um, but for him to transition from starting safety in 2016 to being a not a starter at wide receiver but a consistent depth guy really kind of like a move the chains possession receiver i thought he played his role very well um and over the course of the season i thought you could see him get more and more comfortable uh, in that wide receiver role yeah, I thought some because some of his biggest plays at the beginning of the year was straight burning burner routes. Uh, like yeah. he had the first touchdown catch against Nebraska, and that was just him running really fast and jumping over the Nebraska defensive back. And there was a exactly. few plays throughout the year where it was just him running in a straight line because I think he may be the fastest player on the team. You think? Yeah. Because the cameras don't really do it justice, but on kickoff coverage, he is five yards ahead of everybody else. If I had to guess, I would probably say Jalen Red. Maybe I would. I would like to see those two race because right. they are both. Jalen Red is faster in terms of being able to turn a corner. I think Jalen uh, Red will be Red would be able to turn a corner faster than Schooler would be. But if we're talking straight line, I think. Score would pull away. Interesting. Um, but, no, I, I completely agree. And that's part of the reason why I think he was most improved is um, it doesn't take a lot to just run a verts route and beat a guy deep. Um, I mean, just run fast, right? But I thought uh, over the course of the season, you saw him be more comfortable with other routes, comeback routes, timing routes, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Where I, I thought I thought he made some really impressive strides. I don't think that he is going to be probably ever a um, like a, a starting wide receiver for us. Um, but he is one of those guys who plays an important role on the team that can often get overlooked. Right, yeah. I think I think you're looking for like a complete wide receiver, being able to run every route. Yeah. Because I could see him running some routes significantly better than almost everybody else on the team, but not run not being able to do some routes well at all. What um, about you? What's your uh who's who's your most improved on O? I think my most improved is Tony Brooks, James, because there was a level of, uh, he was much more physical this year. He was willing to go into contact and initiate contact rather than running around people. It was just an entirely new dimension to the game. Like he was, there were a lot of times where he was running the football and he was running hard and he was running through people was not getting brought down by arm tackles um he also showed that he could he also added uh being able to run routes to part of his game um he had a few big catches one of which was against uh 
Arizona State. So I think he just added a lot more dimensions to his game rather than someone who can just run really fast, um, which he did at which was what he did most of the time last year. That's all that was really asked of him. But I think being more physical running the football, adding the passing threat really makes him the most improved player. I think he just did more to raise his individual game than a lot of the other players. I would agree with that. I thought he had a good year. Um, I mean, like well, like we talked about earlier, improve when when in 2016 he was the offensive MVP. But you definitely have a good a valid point because he he added a lot of dimensions to his game that he did not have prior. So I I completely understand that. Who do you have for defense? And I'm hoping you don't take mine. Uh, well, I am picking this player mostly. Because I felt that they honestly were the most improved, and also, uh, and you can tell, you know for a fact that I believe he was the most improved, because at the beginning of the year, I made it very well known I was not a fan of him. I was not a fan of him um, playing safety. Uh, And my most improved goes to... Tyree Robinson. I'm eating some humble pie. I'm eating crow. Uh, Because he turned from somebody... He went from a player that I thought was a liability in the defensive backfield to one of the most dominant players on defense. He was so well prepared every game. His tackling was phenomenal. Just absolute textbook at times. Um, and he never got caught. I don't I don't remember even rewatching games. I don't think he ever made a like an obvious mistake. Wow, I think you got about Tyree. I know. Well, I think there may have been I think now that I think of it, I think there may have been one when um, Ugo blitzed, did a corner blitz from the boundary in the third quarter against Nebraska. Um, and there was a miscommunication on who should have been blitzing. But I think that was Ugo's mistake and not Tyree's. Uh, if Tyree was playing safety on that side, I don't recall. But um, he was he was fantastic. He had I know he had at least one interception because he had the interception that Thomas... Uh, Thomas Graham tipped on the first pass by uh, Tanner Lee in the Nebraska game. Yep, I, he ended up with two interceptions and five pass breakups. Um, his success rate based on S&P Plus was 70.8%, which um, does not sound good, but that's that's very good. Yeah, he was fantastic this year. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. I think he was in a much better position um to succeed he wasn't being asked to play free safety uh he was much better at being able to go sideline to sideline and then really get downhill when a ball was in the air so my thoughts for most improved um 
now that you've made the argument for Tyree and I kind of remember what his season looked like, I, I honestly think he's number one. Um, but who I was going to say is another one who came on strong really in the middle of the season and then became an impact player in, in those last six games. Uh, his his breakout game to me was the game down at UCLA, Lamar Winston Jr. playing the outbacker spot. Um, it was his, his sophomore campaign. At the start of the year, he wasn't even starting. Um, his his spot was really started by Fotu Leatu, um, and then they would both kind of switch off when we w- went into that nickel package. Um, but really in with that UCLA game, it seemed like Lamar Winston Jr. really took that starting spot and held on to it and, and made that spot his. Um, he made some really big plays down the stretch for us in, in those last six games, showed a lot of promise. Um, I mean, and he, he did what a lot of sophomores are supposed to do, which is you kind of see the game slow down where they can just – be instinctive and fly and make tackles. Um, he ended up one, two, three, four, five. He ended up seventh on the team with 38 tackles. And considering the fact that he really played pretty sparingly in the first five games of the season, um, I think he he shows a lot of promise in the future. And for me, he was my most improved um, other than Tyree because I think – you're right. Tyree just had a an amazing season compared to his previous play at Oregon. All right. Uh, who do we have next? Okay, let's do a little. Uh, actually, let's get to our next predicted breakout player at the end. Let's go most fun player. And let's start on the offensive side of the ball this time. Because we both have the answer for defensive, so. Yeah, that, I mean, it's not hard on defense. Let's just skip ahead, right? It's Fat Mac. It's Fat Mac. It's Fat Mac. <laughs> Fat Mac is the best. Everybody loves Fat Mac. The guy was just named uh, first-team All-American for as a freshman. Um, I mean, he backed up everything that he did on Twitter and the cannonballs uh, or like the backflips or whatever into the pools, he backed all that up with his play on the field. Um, Mac is amazing. Long live, long live the King. Uh, I, I don't, do you have anything else to add on fat Mac? Because I, I think that's pretty much like, I mean, everything fat about Mac. fat Mac was fantastic this year. It was. I think he had to play his way into football shape a little bit because Austin Fowler started off the season um, at the defensive tackle spot, or maybe it was situational. I don't know. It's tough to tell. But um, there were so many plays. Which was it? Was it against Utah that he just? Yeah, I think it was the Utah game where he just split two guys that were trying to double team him, and he just got after the quarterback. Like, I mean, he took up so much space. And, uh, I mean, I think really one of the best <laughs> – I think one of my favorite moments of the year was just, just bludgeoning Oregon State and uh, them playing Superman by Soldier Boy at the stadium 
and there's an Instagram, there's a video of it now that I'll put in the article, but it's uh, of him dancing to the song and just crushing it. Just the best. Just crushing it. Just the best. So um, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for him to get a lot better too because he has a lot of. He was already a, he's already already a very physically big guy, but there is so much more. And it's very unusual to have freshmen play on in the trenches because it takes so much. Because uh, there's a lot of physical maturation that happens between. 18 and 22 um, and he was an 18 year old that was going against 22 and 23 year olds and he's got a lot of growing still to do and I know he came in probably at around like 350 plus so I don't know he's going to be a problem he is going to be a problem I agree so I, I have um, moving over to the other side of the ball because Fat Mac is it's Fat Mac you know, it's Fat Mac. Um, moving over to the other side of the ball, most fun player to watch. Uh, normally, you would think of like oh, a guy that scores a lot of touchdowns or makes a lot of explosive plays. Like in the past, this probably would have been DeAnthony. Um, although for you, DeAnthony would have been most frustrating player to watch. It would um, have been me, most frustrating. But for me, he would have been most exciting. Uh, this year, I'm going a little different. He had his share of highlight plays. Didn't put up a whole lot of stats, unless you count pancake blocks. Our only senior on the offensive line, future NFL first-round pick, Tyrell Crosby. Most fun player to watch is a left tackle. Yeah. Wow. And I will I will point out one play in particular as to the reason why his double pancake clean you out bowling ball block against Arizona, uh, which I believe was on a Royce Freeman touchdown run. Um, so much fun to watch. The the guy I don't even think he gave up a sack on the season. He was just unbelievable. All year, um, not to mention just the the stories that you hear about him, like with the the Dornbecker program with the uh, uh, ducks against their jerseys, and how he seems to be super great doing stuff in the community. Um, but I I really enjoy watching Tyrell Crosby. Watching the line is actually fun. I encourage you to do it sometimes. Um, and he was, he was a real treat. We're not going to get a guy like Tyrell Crosby again, probably for quite a while. Uh, I mean, Mario Cristobal has seen a ton of really good offensive linemen, and yeah, he's had offensive linemen get drafted in the first five picks. Yeah, at, at some point during the season, he said that Tyrell Crosby was the best offensive lineman that he's ever coached. Um, I mean that that says a lot. So. That's my pick. The most fun player for me was Charles Nelson. There was his touchdown pass against uh, Arizona. Oh, that was so good. There was the touchdown celebration against Nebraska where he 
figure that he was calling himself on his hand, and when you put the phone up to his ear, he was giving the defensive back the middle finger. That was another great celebration, little Easter egg I caught rewatching games. Um, and there was also a few uh, of Red's jet sweeps that went for touchdowns where Charles Nelson is just blowing up linebackers. Like every every time he touched the ball, there was a chance that he was going to take it. Um, he blocked really hard inside. Uh, and just enough, uh, like, little extra mustard in between plays to make it fun. That Arizona game was... That that's a dark horse for funnest game of the year. That, that, that was, a, was lot. a ton of fun. I honestly think that was the most fun game of the year. And the fact that it came the week after the Washington game, there was a good amount of catharsis there. That was really nice. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And that's that's one of the reasons too why I think Washington was a shot at winning because when you have a threat of scoring, you can actually get points on the board. Everything gets a lot easier. Yeah, that's fair. All right, back to back to our awards. Um, most underappreciated player on offense. Let's start on offense. Oh, pass. I don't know. I, I'm I'm struggling to come up with him. You go first. I'm gonna pick Brady Aiello. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, so uh, Brady Aiello took over for right tackle when Jake Pisarczyk's season came to an end. I think actually his, yeah, his uh, collegiate career came to an end because of concussion issues. Um, so he had played left tackle when Tyrell Crosby was out last year. Um, and then for him to switch sides of the ball after being basically being a backup and – Statistically being, I think I think Crosby and him and Brady were rated, or maybe it was Throckmorton actually, who got, actually got credit for it, as the best tackles, the best pass protection tackles in the conference. Tackles are the hardest, hardest spots to play. Left tackle is harder than right tackle because there's a lot more pressure on you and teams will put their best rushers on that side. Um, but for him to come in and still be a part of an offensive line that was unstoppable every game except for one um, was huge. And I don't think that's really appreciated enough just because there were only really seven to eight guys that Crystal Ball was really playing on a game-by-game basis. And for him to step in and lose nothing on it, I think was absolutely huge. So he gets my vote for most underappreciated. I have no dissenting argument. I think you're right. Great. That's what I love to hear. That's what I love to hear. All right. Uh, most underappreciated on defense. Um, I was originally going to say Arion, but we've pretty much already talked about him. So Yeah, I think you were going to pick him. So I'm not when we were talking about this, you were going to pick him because of the stigma from last year. We, we pretty much already talked about him, so I'm not going to pick him. Instead, uh, most underappreciated, I'm going to go with Thomas Graham Jr. Um, he Ooh, started out very hot in at the start of the season, 
um, and everybody kind of jumped on the oh he's the next like shut down corner train, and then I, I feel like he, he totally could be, um, but I feel like as the season went on, um, he didn't really have a whole lot of hype. Like nobody was complaining, nobody was saying that he uh, was doing poorly. Um, but I just don't think that he got the recognition that he deserved. I mean, he started, I think, every single game of the season as a true freshman and was he ended up being our second leading tackler. He had three interceptions, four pass breakups on the year. And he had a very, very good season. Um, so for that reason, he's my most underrated and I'm very excited to see what the future holds for Thomas Graham Jr. Yeah, I think that's a good point because there were really there were really a few games that he looked like a freshman. And that was the Washington game. Stanford. Uh, Stanford, although he was going against basically a six six tight end that Stanford yeah. was flexing out. Uh, yeah, our Whiteside just ate him for lunch. Yeah, well, he did that to everybody last year. Yeah. Um, and uh, Arizona State. Arizona State's awesome receiver. He was like also 6'6 or something. Um, but c- kind of to, to echo your point, with Arian Springs on one side, Teams kept going after Thomas Graham pretty much every play. Uh, like Nebraska, again, Nebraska's very first play was just a bomb to go right after Graham. Graham tipped it, Tyree Robinson intercepted it. We were going the other way, went up 14 0. Graham was the guy that had to do probably the most work on defense every game because opposing defense is new. Arion was on the other side, and we have a freshman on the other side there's a freshman that we could possibly take advantage of. Arizona State, Washington, and Stanford all did. Um, but I think really that was the... Those were the only teams that were able to do it. And those were... Uh, two, the two best teams in the conference, or two of the three best teams in the conference. And one was just a superstar wide receiver he was going against. Or one that's going to at least be a superstar wide receiver. Do you have any other uh, any other under the radar defensive picks for this season? My underappreciated Jonah Moy. So Jonah Moy was opposite. Nice. Yeah. So Jonah Moy was opposite Hollins. Um, Hollins was like Jelks, pretty much a uh, pass rush specialist. Got after the quarterback, he had a pick six against Oregon State. Uh, but Jonah, Jonah Moy was a force setting the edge and really collapsing the pocket from the, from the inside. Um, he was huge in the Utah game. Um, he had a couple sacks, and he was the spy that was in charge of keeping Khalil Tate in check in the Arizona game. Oftentimes he was, instead of lining up on opposite of Hollins on the line of scrimmage, he was lined up next to Troy Dye. 
So, and I think that speaks a lot to his size because he was huge. He was probably the same size as Jokes. You know, I could actually look this up real fast. Um, but he was faster Jordan than he got credit for. Um, he was... Jonah Moy is listed as 6'4", 240. So he's slightly shorter and basically the same weight as Jokes. Oh, on GoDucks.com, he's listed as 6'4", 250. Oh, well, okay. Which is five pounds heavier than Jalen Jokes. So, um, yeah. And he and against, the Stanford, against Stanford, too, he was basically playing every down. Um, he's back next year, which I'm super glad about. Uh, I think he's got some real potential this next year. Uh, the other player that I want to call it, honorable mention, is going to go to Austin Falu. He started off at defensive tackle. By the end of the season, he was playing... Uh, defensive end in a lot of packages. I think he's a guy that's going to be super versatile. He's already 295 coming in, so being able to have a guy who's athletic, a 295-pounder playing defensive end is going to be huge because basically that's the the dominant lines that you see now, 295 defensive ends that can run, and you have your 330-pound defensive tackles who can just take up space and push a line back. So... I think he's going to be a really important player this this next year, which actually could lead really well into... Did you already pick your guy for defense? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Obviously, I'm already forgetting things. Um, who's your breakout player next year for defense? Breakout player next year for defense? Um, I will... You know what? I was going to say Lamar Winston Jr., but I've already talked about him. I think he has a lot of potential. But my breakout player next year for defense is a guy that barely played at all at the start of the year. Got some more reps. Um, Especially, I I remember him making a good amount of plays in the Washington game. I think you're going to pick the same person. Yep. Diamador Lamar. This um, so Thomas Graham Jr. is one of the, is kind of a smaller cornerback. He's five ten. Um, Diamondo Lenore, although he's only listed as an inch taller and basically the same weight, I, I feel like he just like looks way bigger for some reason. So um, I think those two guys together, combined with the talent that we have at safety coming in, um, they could make up a very potent secondary. And I think Lenore is going to have a breakout year next year, um, considering that now he'll have a season to understand the defensive scheme. He'll know what Jim Levitt wants. And then from there, just like Lamar Winston Jr. was able to do this year, hopefully, eventually, um, he'll be able to just play instinctually, and go get after the ball. Okay, I'm going to go with you. Same thing for the same reasons, basically. I think Austin Follow could take a jump. Is going to take, like, probably... He's my second pick, but I think Diamador Lenore is just so talented. I mean, he's highly rated for a reason. Just 
you make your biggest jump from your freshman year to your sophomore year, and I think he's just going to be huge as next year. Um, breakout player on offense. Jalen Red. Jalen Red. Yeah, he he played really well towards the end of the season. He ended up on the season having an average of seven yards a carry. Um, very fast, very agile. I think he's going to make some significant plays for us. See, you know, it's interesting because Fake News Rob has him behind Taj Griffin on the death chart. You're sticking with Red? Yeah, I'm sticking with Red. You know what's interesting is that Red came in and signed as a defensive back. Huh. I forgot that. That's interesting. Well, I'm sticking with it. I don't care. All right. I am going to... You could say I'm going to half-ass this, but I stand by this. You half-assing things? Never. Never. I think that the breakout star on offense next year is not on the team right now. Ooh. Okay. You you had my attention. I don't know who it's going to be, but I don't think he's on the team right now. <laughs> I think we're looking at a wide receiver that's going to come in, a wide receiver, a tight end that's going to come in. Because um, Jacob Breland is a really has did really well as a tight end this year, but he's not the dynamic threat that we would see from like like a like an Ed Dixon. Um, I'm trying to think of somebody else who was like a real. I think Ed Dixon's probably the best example, like a guy who could play wide receiver and a guy who could play tight end. Um, and I think with you, there's two tight ends that are likely not going to name names. Um, and then there's also a couple receivers that are likely who are big guys on the outside. And I think one of them is going to be really the breakout star of next year's offense. You're so, really going out on a limb there. None of them. Of- see, none of them are on campus yet. So I am not going to name names. But Interesting. It's a group of one of those guys. I like it. I, I like it very much. All right. I mean, obviously, MVPs are probably going to be Herbert and Troy Die. I feel like that's yeah. We don't have really answers. Really I mean, what's the fun in that? Everyone knows the answer to that question. Um. All right. So covered. Coaches, uh, we did a little bit of recruiting. Basically, we just need to get some wide receivers, and this is going to be one of the best classes ever. Um, and then um, went through our year-end awards. Do you want to take a really, really look early look at next year's schedule? Uh, I do. Okay. I actually have it up in front of me. All right, and let's do it. I think Non-conference said- schedule. How about that? How about that? I hope y'all are buying your tickets right now. 
because we got we got some big big things coming in for all of you who really 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 hate Ohio State and want to stick it to a team that he that Urban Meyer used to coach for. We opened up with Bowling Green. Okay. <laughs> All so right. I want to make I want to make one funny note real fast. Uh, on the 2018 football schedule announcement or press release on Go Ducks, it still says the second regular season of the Willie Taggart era at Oregon will open. Really? Fake news, Rob. Get on it. Well, well I don't know if you retroactively go change press releases, but yeah, no, you don't really. Um, okay. So Bowling Green, I mean, I, I think the non-conference schedule sets up really well for us, especially considering if your prediction is true and our impact players are not even yet on campus, um, this will allow them to adjust to the college game because we open up with Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State. Um, all three teams, not great, Bob. They're not good. Not great. But I think in I think that's good for our team. I I don't think that you know the fans are gonna really be super stoked to go see those games. But I think it's actually a very good sign for our team to have three cupcakes to start off the year. ESPN would call them that, but sure. Um, after that, I think this is a big, I think this is a big, after that, Stanford, September 22nd, that means we get them early before they figure out what they're doing wrong. That's when you get Stanford. You want to get them early before they figure out that they need to stop messing around with the forward pass and they just need to run the dang ball. Especially if Bryce Love decides to go pro. That will be. Which he should. That that will be big, because if they have an offense that doesn't really have a go-to guy, I mean, their go-to guy will probably end up being our Sega White side at that point. Um, that that could be big. So Stanford at home next year. Then we travel to Cal, who was not terrible. Then we have Washington. It's an early. Hey week this year in Eugene, October 13th. After the bye. Which is just wonderful. Yes. That, that, that sets up real nice for us. And then we finish. I'm going to breeze through these real quick. Washington State in Pullman where weird things happen. Arizona, who will be having a new head coach. Revenge of Khalil Tate and Kevin Sumlin. UCLA, who has a new head coach, who we don't have any idea who he is. Utah in Sac Lake City, Arizona State, and then Oregon State in Corvallis. On the Friday after Thanksgiving. I think considering the biggest games of the year are relatively early and they're both at home, plus a UCLA game is at home, um, I think the schedule sets up pretty well for us. Over under... Nine. Oh. I'm going to say over. Ooh. 
And I'm going to say over just barely. I'm going to say we win. I'm going to say we win nine in the regular season and then hopefully win the bowl game. So the first three, I think, are wins. I think we split Stanford and Washington. So we lose to Stanford, but we beat Washington because that's more fun. So that's four. I think we beat Cal. I think we beat Arizona and UCLA. And UCLA. And I think we beat CEO Herm Edwards and Oregon State. And that's our four. Okay, how much is it going to hurt to see Chip Kelly in a UCLA advisor? Uh, you know, to be honest, not really to me. Like, we had a great thing. We broke up. It's done. People move on. People grow apart. Yeah, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm not the guy that's going to sit here and look at an ex-girlfriend and be like, oh, my God, you got married? Man, darn. No, we broke up for a reason. Yeah, that's my job. Deuces. Deuces. So, no. I, I, I'm happy for Chip. I'm glad he got a job. I'm glad that he's taking guys like Don Pelham with him. Yes. Um, it's going to be weird to see them in other colors, especially Don Pelham. Don Pelham more so than Chip for me because we've gotten used to seeing Chip in, like, an Eagles gear and Niners gear and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be weird. I want – can we please get Gary Campbell as our running backs coach again? I don't know. That's a question for he's the powers a, that be. He's an awesome recruiter. He's not going to go anywhere. I think I think the guy is Gary Campbell. That would be nice. I'd be okay with that. Are you taking over or under nine? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a change here. Nine and a half. The, well, I'm going with nine then. Okay, I would pick under on nine and a half too. Well, what do you think? Make your picks. Under. Ooh. All right. Well, I am always the optimist. Rusty always has salt to throw around. I'm always the realist. Uh, let's quickly touch on basketball because we've just spent like an hour talking about football. We spent an um, hour and ten minutes on football. So, which is kind of par I, for the course for our podcast, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I really don't expect anyone to actually be watching, listening to this right now. So, if you are, uh, I don't know, man. Go to Cinnabon. Like, better call Saul. Like Saul Gittin. Reward, reward yourself. <laughs> uh, basketball <coughs> struggling. In conference play, we're one and two right now. We lost at home to Utah to open conference play, beat Colorado, uh, who then last weekend turned around and beat Arizona State and Arizona, uh, and then we lost to Oregon State in what was one of the more frustrating games that I've ever had to watch because, oh my gosh, um, that was pretty bad. This team to me, like. I don't think they're as far away as people think they are. They have talent. We have guys like Troy Brown who, I mean, he's pulling down close to eight rebounds a game. He 
He is our third leading scorer. Um, I think Peyton Pritchard has been, even though he's our leader and our leading assist guy, he's been up and down to me over the course of the season. Um, I think the offense has gotten bogged down, especially late in the shot clock, where we just kind of go into iso ball, which is not Dana Altman's offense at all. Right. And part of that, to me, rests on Peyton. Um but I'm waiting for everything to gel. This team still seems like a team that's not quite assertive yet, that doesn't really know how to play college basketball yet. I mean, you look at our, our contributors. Payne Pritchard is a sophomore. He knows the game. Elijah Brown is a transfer. He knows the game. But out of our starters, the starters for the last five have been Elijah Brown, Troy Brown, Mikhail McIntosh, Peyton Pritchard, Kenny Wooten, and then we're getting a lot of minutes off the bench from uh, Victor Bailey, from uh, even Abu Kijab has gotten a a good amount of of minutes. Um, This team just seems like it hasn't quite gelled yet, and they haven't quite figured out how to be assertive um case in point in conference play which we've had three games kenny wooten has only shot the ball five times that's a problem it's not good the guy hasn't missed yet in conference play and on the season he is shooting 77 percent give him the ball I understand he's not great at, like, offensively, but just give him the ball. Good things will happen. Um, I'm a little worried about this week because we are traveling to Arizona where we're playing Arizona State and Arizona, who just both got swept by Colorado. Um, they're both very talented. Arizona State plays at a really high pace, which I think could exacerbate some turnover issues if we start getting into a track meet with them. Um, Arizona has projected to be, at minimum, like a top three NBA pick, and he bangs down low, which that's really our weakness, in my opinion. I don't think we have a, a big guy to to really shore up that, that side of the ball. We need Bobo. So it will be... It might be an interesting week... I'm holding out hope for this season in general. I think eventually we'll gel. Um, there's a lot of talent. It's just a matter of time. That's that's my thoughts on men's basketball. Real quick, women's basketball, shout out to the women's team because they just completed a sweep of the L.A. schools for the first time ever, coming back from like six down with four minutes left uh, in their game against UCLA. That was an awesome game. So... They're doing big things. Uh, go to Matthew Natarita and watch the women's team. That's my thoughts. Go ahead. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I think last thing that I want to cover is we kind of alluded to this in our last podcast, but this could be one of the – this could be the last regular Sling and Quack. Maybe a couple, maybe an episode around 
National Signing Day, maybe one, uh, probably actually not around uh, the spring game, um, just some um, professional obligations, and then starting up grad school in the fall is going to take me a little bit more away from ATQ. I know Sean Larson just posted uh, another notice about his involvement, so um, I'll still be around commenting, um, writing something occasionally here and there. Uh, but this was a ton of fun podcasting, uh, regularly over the last, last year. So who knows? So some will pop up. We don't know. We don't know when, but this was a, this was a blast. Mostly this is also just summarizing our, uh, Boomerized text messages going back and forth during the week with some fewer expletives and conspiracy theories. Yeah. <laughs> Kidding on the conspiracy theory part. The Illuminati is real, and Tua is part of it. There's just fewer hot takes. I think there's fewer hot takes. And more well, appropriate jokes. That's all I got. Um, I hope you guys have a great spring, and we'll see you around spring game probably. Yeah, see you then. Go Ducks.